looking at, uh, at Romans 13 and, and digging in and seeing uh, how it is that we are to, to live in relationship to the state. And so we're going to read and then we are going to pray. Uh, I am sure that in the amount of time that I have to talk about this subject, I'll probably manage to uh, irritate people on either end of the political spectrum and probably leave a lot of questions. I think that that is fitting for a text like this, that it is a, quest, a text that creates questions and which really leaves the believer in a place where they have to say, what does my conscience compel me to do? What it, how, how do I feel called to live before God? And so uh, I am interested in, in having a discussion about some of these principles and things. So if I, uh, if I say anything this morning and you're like, hey, I don't quite agree with that, that is quite all right. Let's, uh, let's, let's have a, a further discussion about that as believers. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach what I believe the word says, what I believe that Paul is teaching us. And uh, we will, we will see where that leaves us. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe nothing to anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this subject uh, on how it is that we as believers are to relate to the state, having looked in the past at our relationship to you and then to ourselves, and then how we're to relate to one another in the church, and then how we're to relate to our enemies. We look to this question of how it is that the believer relates to the government, and, and we live in a highly charged political time. Lord, we, we live in a day and age where we have multiple news outlets and we have 24 hour a day, seven day a week news feed from the internet. We are able to receive up to date bits of information from people from different political parties and often we are able to know and to be aware of, of political issues and, and causes and things uh, in, in an instantaneous way. And so the attention that we give to matters of state can affect our mood. They can affect our, our focus. The reading of headlines on a web page or on a newspaper can cause us, if we allow it, to have a good day or a bad day. Uh, the world seems to be focused on this area just as it is focused on what famous people are doing or what the stock market is doing. It's, it's an area that can almost become 
a hobby or an entertainment, and yet it has value and impact on our lives. And so, Lord, we want as believers to look to you and to say, how should we think about these things? Teach us, Lord, how it is that we are to relate to the government around us. Some of us look at the government with a great deal of contempt. Some look to the state with an attitude that the, that the state is basically good. Some see waste and controversy and frustration, and they, they see themselves on one side or another, and they want their side to win, and whether or not their side is winning determines whether or not you are blessing this, this land that we live in, Lord. We pray that you would teach us how it is that we're to live as Christians in our own culture, in the state that you have brought us to, that you've allowed us to be born into or to emigrate to. We pray that you would teach us, Lord, to have your perspective, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, attitudes uh, about the state or about government are uh, controversial. I, I think that in my lifetime, I, maybe this is just the age that I am. You know, if you if you have any perspective on this, tell me later. I'd appreciate it. Like, don't shout it out right now. Um, it, it it feels to me like the older I've gotten, the more controversial political discussions have gotten. You know, that the the more uh, coverage, the more uh, reaction, that we have a greater awareness of news. I think in part this has to do with the fact that that. Um, news also serves as entertainment for some, you know, like we, you, can, you can now watch a 24-hour news feed and hear news. There used to be a time when television would turn off, right, where they would uh, show the American flag and you would hear the national anthem and then it would be a test pattern, right? You know, now that we have cable TV, at some point somebody said, we have to have people on talking on TV 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's always like, you know, some, some music and then it'll be breaking news alert, you know, and you're like, <gasps> what's happening? And it's like, you know, there was a car accident here or, you know, this just out, you know, political scandal. There's always news. And, and so I think that's a piece of it. Another, another part of it is that as, as these devices have become more and more popular, we carry them in our pocket, we're, we're now able to customize our news feed and our music feed and our friend feed and all. And we can, we can create a world for ourselves where we never hear any information that disagrees with our personal perspective, right? And so we're only getting this what I, could, I think we could call a curated view of the world. This group is bad, and this group is good, and this person's bad, and this person's good. And, 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 and so I think if we're not careful, and I speak from personal experience, right, we can drive around, work, talk, read, browse, surf, and have this feeling like all of this Stuff is happening around us all the time, and we somehow need to be aware of it and to change it and to shape it. Uh, when I think of the government, I am often looking over my shoulder, right? You know, I'm always thinking, like, am I, I got a notice from uh, Easy Pass the other day that says, as you passed through the Easy Pass station, you were driving too fast. They sent me a letter, you know, like to tell me that I was driving too fast through the little easy, and I'm like, man, you know, like they are watching me everywhere. You know, there's speed cameras, and, and, and you, you know, you make a, a, a turn, and you're like, man, is that a new turn on red or what? You know, I was in New Jersey a couple weeks ago, and I can't remember, is it turn on red or not turn on red in the state here? Because some states, it's like it's illegal to turn on red. And, you know, other places, you're allowed. And, and so, you know, just have this feeling that the, that the government is watching to smash you, you know? And I don't know if, if that comes out of uh, my childhood or something, you know, what, what, where, does, where does that idea come from? But then I also feel like, you know, you, you get these, uh, you get a bill from the phone company, you're like, wait a minute, why does the government get some money out of this? You know, the church pays this thing every year, we got to pay some money to the Bay Area Restoration Fee. 
I like the bay. And I hope it will be restored, right? But there is the government, again, with their hand out. You know, and I wonder, like, if I could track every single one of those, maybe 150 or $250, it's like, is it, are they really, like, putting crabs back in the bay? Or, like, unpolluting something? You know, is there a guy somewhere being paid to filter the water? Come on. You know, tell me. I, I don't know. Um, so so my, my view of the government is, is, is somewhat discontent, somewhat suspicion, you know, this, this feeling of, of, of what is going on. I believe that uh, Christian media and Christian personalities can also fuel discontent with the government as it is. Christian attitudes about the law can be confused as well. People can say, the government is bad, right? All government is bad. Government just exists for itself to, to rob the people. Uh, some believers, and I think this is true in the New Testament era, they would say things like, Jesus is my king, and therefore he is my only law. That if Jesus was king, then Caesar was no longer king. And if you recall, this is something that, that the, that the uh, Sanhedrin, when they were interviewing Jesus and when he was on trial, they were pursuing him on this matter. Are you a king? Are you starting a revolution? Uh, and there are, there are places in some of Paul's letters where he urges people that they have not yet become, he uses the word angels or, or kings. You know, they've not yet ascended to who they will be when they are resurrected. And therefore they are still on earth and still need to live like human beings, right? In relationship to one another and to the government. Some people believe that they have been freed from the law. And then there are those who believe that Romans 13 teaches that they are to always, in every circumstance, obey the government. As we look through Romans, Paul is defining our relationships. He's saying, here's how you relate as a Christian to God. And here is how you relate as a Christian to yourself, right? Don't have more high a view of yourself than you ought to. Think rightly about yourself. And then he talks about how we're to love one another in the church and how we're to relate to our enemies. And so he then turns to this matter of the law and external authority, right? Outside of the scriptures, the law. And he talks about the law and the state how we're to think of the state, and then he talks about the law and our fulfillment of it, how it is that we know that we are living rightly and obeying the way that we ought to. Now, real quick, church history survey, okay? There have been, I believe, four views of how Christians relate to the government, all right? How they relate to the state. The first one is this. The state controls the church, right? The state is the boss, and if the state says do this, then the church should say, yes, sir. Second is uh, what evolved underneath Emperor Constantine, which is that the state favors the church and says Christianity is the official religion, and the state or the church then responds by saying, thank you so much for not killing us, Mr. Emperor. We will do everything we can to remain within your good graces, so please treat us kindly. Uh, and that's a bit of a caricature, but I think you get the point. The third is a theocracy, which is that the church controls the state. The church says, this is good, this is bad, and therefore defines the laws for the state. And then the fourth, you could call partnership. The church and the state recognize that they have different areas of responsibility and authority, and they work together to encourage each other's distinct responsibilities in a spirit of of, of, of constructive collaboration, looking at each other's contribution to, to, to the governing of people and the morality of people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus a bit uh, more attention on the idea of partnership or of separate spheres this morning. What we've seen throughout history, particularly in, in Reformation times, uh, is, is that there were times when a particular wing of the church gained control of the state and used that authority to persecute others. Some might not know this, but you know, Martin Luther, who is a hero of the faith and who championed 
champion the idea that, that by believing in Christ, we receive Christ's righteousness. This is a revolutionary thought for the church in the medieval period. Martin Luther, when he got control of the state machine and was able to say to, to the governing authorities around him, this is what God would have us do, he persecuted early uh, Baptists who believe that the state should have no interference or control over their lives. And so it's dangerous for the church to take over the state. It's dangerous for the state to take over the church and to say, preach this, say this, support our, uh, our policies. There ought to be some distance between the two, and we'll talk about that a bit. When we consider the content of what's here in Romans 13, though, it should be clear to us as we read through it that what Paul is talking about is principles of personal citizenship, okay, of how citizens relate to the state rather than the whole thinking through of, of how the church and the state ought to relate to one another. Now, part of the reason is this was written when there were no Christian states anywhere in the world when there was no government that said, we are modeling this on the teachings of the scriptures. There, there, was, there, was, no, uh, there, there was no state that said, you know, we are, we are all believers. No, this is written in a time when the perspective on the world in the early church was that there was the Roman Empire, right, which surrounded them, and then there was the, the Jewish state that they had grown up in, that these were the two fixed authorities, and they were largely hostile toward believers, those who put their faith and trust in Christ. And yet, Paul says in this passage that those authorities were established by God, that they were put in place by God. We see this in the Old Testament. Daniel says, uh, Daniel records the words of uh, the, uh, the, the emperor Nebuchadnezzar who, who says that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. That God is the one who appoints kings. He is the one who raises nations up and tears them down. This is very evident in the book of Isaiah where it discusses the king of Assyria and of Babylon. The scriptures also say that God's wisdom is on loan to men and that rulers rule well by it, and when they ignore it, they rule foolishly. Proverbs 8, 15. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. You are a good man. Thank you. So let's take a look at what Paul is saying here about the state. He talks first about the authority of the state. Man, this is going to go a whole lot quicker now. Thank you. Yeah, it's... Loosen some things up in there. That's good. Uh, he talks about the authority of the state over the world of men. And it's important that we, we, we notice what's being said here. Paul is going to affirm three times that the state has authority given from God. Look at verse 13, uh, or chapter 13, right? It says in verse 1 that every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. And then he says in the second part of that verse, there is no authority except from God. Okay, so the government is acting using authority from God. Second, those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. And then third, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Okay, three times it is affirmed that the state has a legitimate role, that government plays a role in our lives. And then we are told that those who resist this authority will incur judgment and that Rulers don't exist to terrify people. They exist to punish wrong. Paul says this in verse 3. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. What Paul is saying here to us is that as Christians, we are not to say, Jesus is my king, therefore I can do anything that I want. And I think on a fundamental basis, we all agree with this, right? Like, if the speed limit is 55, then I should probably drive 55, right? And I can't say, I'm a Christian, Jesus is my king, I can do 85, and on judgment day, you know, he will, he will say, good for you, right? Nobody thinks that. Nobody, nobody thinks that, right? 
We think that these rules and these laws, while there may be some absurd ones on the books, right? I, I saw on the internet somewhere that um, these little things that show up that, that say, like, did you know that in Minnesota, you are not allowed to keep an ice cream cone in your back pocket? <laughs> what? Somebody somewhere said, you know, there should be a law about this, and they passed it. That's ridiculous, right? But in general, what, what, what the state or the government ought to be doing is saying, these are the guidelines which we are going to put in place for the good of the people, right? For the good of the people. That's the role of government, and we ought to recognize and affirm that authority. Somebody thought it was a good idea to put a stoplight in a particular place. Now, they say they are putting one on Nanakook Road, you know, up by my place, right where Crooked Oak crosses over Nanakook. This will ruin, like, my sense of timing. If I got to wait an additional three minutes, I got to leave earlier in the morning, you know, I don't arrive home. So I'm like, oh, please don't. But if the light shows up there, right, if, it, if they put it in there, they've got, like, they've got, like, the basic public works done right around it. You know, like I could, you could see the straw on the ground a couple months ago, you know, and they know you're like, eh, please don't. <laughs> they put that light up there, I'm going to obey. Because yeah. somebody thinks it's good for everybody. And, and they're wrong. We don't need a light there. <laughs> we don't need a light there. But, 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 but if, if they think this is for the good of the people, then we ought to recognize and affirm that authority. Now, here's what happens. We then say, okay, does that mean that because God appoints governors and authorities, that that means that he affirms the Stalins and the Hitlers and that, and that he says they ought to be obeyed? It is taught in Scripture that it is possible to misuse authority. And yet that authority is recognized as coming from God. When Jesus is on trial before Pilate, he recognizes Pilate's authority to judge him and sentence him. And yet he tells him that he's misusing his authority. Uh, Jesus, or Pilate says to him, don't you know that I have the power to, to sentence you to death? And Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it was given from above. And then he says, the, 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 the big issue here is that the one who delivered me over to you is guilty of the worst sin. They've put Pilate in a place where he needs to make a political decision, whether to lose influence or authority. And so he misuses his authority and eventually concedes and sends, sends Jesus to death. Jesus warns him that he has an opportunity to do the right thing. And yet he makes the wrong choice. We are warned here in Scripture not to rebel against authority because this is a general principle that government exists to punish evil and to reward good. And that's why it's stated in universal terms. And yet, Jesus was a victim of a miscarriage of justice, wasn't he? And he felt free to speak up about that in the middle of this situation. Paul, having been sentenced and wrongly sentenced and imprisoned, makes use of his rights as a Roman citizen, and he appeals to Caesar and says, I'm going all the way to Rome. I want to stand in front of the emperor and say I've been unjustly accused. Why? Because the people who were harassing him and convicting him were wrong, and they were doing it out of spite. Now, throughout history, there are those who have taken this passage and who have applied the general principles outlined here and used it for their own advantage. There's a scene in the book, The Hiding Place. Um, if, if you have not read this, I encourage you to. It's an excellent, excellent testimony of an amazing group of lives and the way that they, that they lived in World War II. And, and they discuss some of the conscience issues that were active in the family uh, as, as this group of of, uh, of Christians decides that they are going to actively shelter, hide, and smuggle Jews out of occupied uh, Holland. It's, it's an incredible, incredible book. And um, it's very good in audio. And me and my kids would listen to it. It was a number of years ago. We were driving them back and forth to swimming 
Um, I would put it on, you know, and the kids would get in the car and they'd be like, put the hiding place on. You know, they wanted to hear, they wanted to hear what happens next. There's a scene in, in the book and in the movie where they, they capture or they, they finally identify the fact that this family has been smuggling Jews out of the country and they, they figure out how to catch them and they bring them in for questioning. And uh, one German officer asks the father, Casper, he says to him, doesn't your book teach you to obey the government? Romans 13, often quoted by those who would oppress people and use their power for wrong, they say, doesn't the book tell you to obey us? Doesn't the book teach you to do what you are told by the government? To which the response, I believe, that we find in Scripture is that we are to submit ourselves to the governing authorities as commanded. But the Scriptures are clear that over and over, Throughout scripture, we are taught that we are to submit ourselves first and foremost to God and to his way and to his will. We submit to the rule of government up to the point that the government disobeys the will of God. And we see this in several places. Uh, There were a group of Hebrew midwives who were told to cast every son that was born into the Nile River. And they said to Pharaoh's face, absolutely, we're going to do that, right? And then they didn't. And we find in Exodus 2 that God blessed these women. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young Jewish boys, better known by their Babylonian names and not by their Jewish names, were told to bow down and to worship the image of of the emperor who had conquered their people. And they cooperated with this man and helped him and worked with him and for him. But when they were told to bow down, they refused. Because they knew that they were to worship only God and not a human emperor. They told the emperor, they told Nebuchadnezzar when he said, don't you know that I could kill you? They said, God will deliver us. But if not, we're not going to bow down and worship you anyway. Because he had overstepped the extent of his authority. Now, I think that we are looking at this and we see life and death issues in these two examples. In the New Testament, which is much closer to Romans chapter 13, after the resurrection of Jesus, the the apostles the first disciples and and Peter, first among them, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are energized and transformed into new people, right? You know, they were hiding in the upper room prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, and now after the coming of the Holy Spirit, they are out there speaking and preaching and teaching and telling everybody, and the authorities say, you're going to cut that out, you're going to stop it. They bring them in, they beat them, right? And say, stop talking about Jesus, And Peter's response to them is, whether it seems right to you to tell us that we should stop, that may seem right to you, but we must obey God rather than men. And they refused to stop preaching and teaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, I think, is... One of the issues that that, that we struggle with when we we think about this, we think about, uh, I think, from our relatively safe position as Americans, right? We tend to think it's not fair that they were treated this way, right? It's not fair. It should not have happened that way. But here, I believe, is the lesson of history for believers. They didn't look at it from a perspective of fairness They looked at it from a perspective of where they were in time, the situation that they were confronted with, and then according to their conscience, they said, I must obey God rather than obeying what I am being told by the government. And then they were willing to pay the price for their disobedience. They were willing to say, I am going to disobey 
in favor of obeying God. And if you see fit to beat me, punish me, harm me, so be it. The point was not to make much of themselves by defying the government, but instead to demonstrate obedience to God. Here's what I believe the New Testament teaches, that the state has authority that's been given for particular reasons, but not for totalitarian ones. Does that make sense? The, the government has no right to say, you must behave this way in every single area of your life. You must worship this way. You must do this. You must embrace this way of thinking. Instead, the government exists to do good for the people and to say, we're going to maintain this road. You know, we're going to have a school and it's going to be here and we're going to replace stuff that breaks, right? We're going to find those who do wrong and we're going to attempt to bring punishment to them or we're going to attempt to figure out what happened in a particular situation. But what Paul does is he is explaining to believers here that, that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is hostile to two different conditions that we can find in society. One is anarchy, right, where Christians say we're going to throw off all authority and we're going to do whatever we want because God is our king and we don't have to obey anyone, shake our fist in the, in the eyes of the, you know, in the, in the face of the government and say we don't need to obey. No. Paul says, no, submit to that authority. And so when, when you get that note, right, from the the spying eye that watched you drive through that red light, and you're like, man, you know what? I, I, I just, I'm going to fight this thing, you know, because I don't want to pay, right? If you, if you did it, <laughs> just, yeah, you know, yeah, just pay it, just right? Yeah, because, because they have a right they have a right. And let me tell you what, I have emailed, I emailed the mayor of the town when they put those cameras in. And I was like, this is wrong. You know, and he was like, yep, I got you. State's pretty dug in on this. You know, they're going to, and I emailed some state people and got some nice, like, runaround emails back from them. It's what they're going to do, you know. Um, and so, and so, so the, the gospel, the good news is hostile to anarchy, but it is also hostile to tyranny, that would say, we will control everything that you do, every way that you think, every way that you act. Let's, let's move on and talk about the ministry of the state. I've talked a little bit about this. Uh, verses 4 through 7 affirm three times that the state has a responsibility towards its citizens. First, we see in verse 4 that... The governor, or the one who bears the sword, is God's servant for your good. We see later on, it says again, he is the servant of God. And then in verse 6, it says that the authorities are ministers of God. Now, this is the ministry of the state towards the people. We see in Romans 12, 9, it says, let love be genuine, right? Hate what is evil, Hold fast to what's good. In Romans 12, verse 17, we're told not to repay anyone evil for evil, but to give thought to do what's good in the, excuse me, in the sight of all. In Romans 12, verse 21, it says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so as personal you know, individuals, that's a, probably uh, overdoing it there, as individuals, what we're supposed to do is to say, I am not going to avenge myself, I am not going to punish those who do wrong to me. Instead, when someone does wrong to me, I'm going to do good. Why are we able as believers to rest in that? And to say, I'm not going to avenge myself, as Romans 12:19 says. Vengeance is mine, the Lord says. I will repay part of the way in which the wrath of God is carried out on the earth is through government. That punishment is measured out by this group that exists outside of individuals. We're not to go around like vigilantes, like Batman, you know, avenging every wrong that's been done. We're to allow process 
to roll forward in the state. We're, allowed to, we're supposed to allow law and the legal system to carry these things out. Now, does the legal system everywhere handle these things perfectly? No. No, it does not. There are mistakes and there are errors and there are problems within systems. But that's evidence of human sin. And what we ought to do is to continue to work for the public good and to seek to help those who have been wrongly accused, wrongly convicted. We ought to seek to do good to them and to change and to shape the system around us. But the system exists to discourage wrongdoing. 1 Peter 2.13 carries out this same idea. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Notice that, that Paul doesn't really get into the details of the laws, what laws should be, what laws should be obeyed, what laws shouldn't be obeyed. What he does is he speaks in very general terms and says that the state is there to punish evil. This is a piece of God's plan to preserve the world until he comes again. Right? You, you'll recall in the Old Testament, okay? In the Old Testament, God creates man. Man sins. The world is filled with violence and wickedness, right? And what does God do? He brings the flood. And he wipes out humanity. And when Noah emerges with his children from the ark, what God says is, I will never destroy the earth in this way ever again. Right? I'm not, never going to flood. But what he does is he institutes this first principle of government. If someone sheds man's blood, by man will his blood be shed. He institutes this principle of the sword. That life is worth protecting. That life is valuable and that there should be those who would protect life. And then what we see next is that does humanity turn around and suddenly recover after the flood and, and, and is filled with goodness and rightness and light and joy and there's rainbows and happiness everywhere? No. What happens is that humanity then says we are not going to fill the earth and they build a tower. Right? And they make a name for themselves. And they're going to exalt themselves. And God breaks them into nations and sends those nations throughout the world. These are the, the two pieces of, of how God preserves the world until Christ comes, until all those who will eventually believe in Jesus are gathered in. Punishment for doing wrong, and nations. And nations need government. Now, some will say, okay, does that mean that Capital punishment needs to be instituted, that, that there needs to be, uh, that, 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 that nations must institute the death penalty. I would say this. The state has been given, has been entrusted with the responsibility of teaching people that life is precious and ought to be protected. Life is precious and ought to be protected. And, and there is... There, there, there is a reason why Paul says that, that uh, the one, he says this, if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. He goes right to this universal principle, right? That, that if you commit certain kinds of crimes, the government is there ready to say, sorry, you lose your life. But think about the activity and the action of the Lord. He was merciful to Cain, wasn't he? When Cain says, my guilt is more than I can bear, the Lord placed a mark on him and said, I'm going to show mercy to you and love you and care for you and protect you, even though Cain did not honor him or serve him. We are to trust, generally, the idea that the state is there to ensure the welfare of its citizens. Do they always get it right? No. That's why I think we ought to praise the Lord that we live in a time like today where we can appeal and we can protest and we can ask and we can, we can object to certain things rather than living in a time where we are under the oppression of certain kinds of authorities. There's a freedom that we have to say we do not accept 
And even though the system in some sense might be broken and might get it wrong, sometimes to an astonishing degree, we are able to disagree. This is, I believe, the lesson for Christians in this text. The individual is called to focus on love rather than carrying out justice. And the state is called to focus on justice rather than just saying, aren't we just supposed to love one another? You know? Like, here you go. You, you run that red light, you know, and you, you, you drive through, you know, and you create a, a, a public menace, you know, and, and, and cars are skidding off the road, you know, and the police officer pulls you over and says, do you realize what you just did? And you say, yeah. And then the police officer's like, now look, you know, we love you. You know, this state of Maryland loves you a whole lot. We want you to feel good about yourself. Okay, so let's, let's, let's dig down into the, the reason why. You don't think you need to obey that red light. Like, tell me about your dad and your mom. Like, is that what they're supposed to do? No, they're supposed to say, don't do that, right? And if, if the person is belligerent, they take them out of the car. And they put them in their car. And they take them to the little room. And they leave them there until they figure out how to, how to drive properly, right? You know, the state is set to govern large groups of people. As individuals, we're called to love one another. And so what Paul concludes here is that because these authorities are put in place, therefore we're to give to them what they are owed. If the state says these are the taxes that we are levying, we ought to say, here you go. If we are to give certain pieces of revenue, we ought to hand it off. We ought to show respect where respect is owed. And I think we ought to always show a great degree of respect to whoever occupies public office. I was at a seminary once uh, when, I was in, when I was in grad school. That's a less like, formal way to say it. Uh, there was a speaker who came who was relatively controversial. And a number of students, when the speaker was introduced, stood up and turned their backs on the speaker. And I just thought, man, is that about... Is that about what's right, or is that about you? Like, do you just want to be seen as, a, as like, a rebel? What's up with that? Go to the administration and lodge a complaint, you know, or just don't even show up for chapel if that's what you're going to do. You know, but to show disrespect like that is wrong. I think we ought to show respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Because this is what Paul is saying here, is that God has so designed and set up the world that we have responsibilities towards others and we ought to give them what they are owed. Now, as believers, we live in two worlds. We can, we can, we can think about it in, in two ways here, okay? We can think... I have my own independent way of thinking, and I don't like things that the government does. I don't like the personalities. I don't like uh, it, it's this president. I didn't like the last president. You know, like we, we have our personal opinions, and so we could say, I don't owe them anything, right? But that's not what Jesus teaches us. What, what God teaches us in the scriptures is that the way that God has designed the world we owe certain things to certain people. Let me, let me back this up. There was a, a day or a period of time in Matthew 22 where everyone who had an issue with Jesus was coming after him, right? You know, there's one long day of controversy or a couple days of controversy. Matthew 22 is the, the passage of, of, of difficulty for Jesus. This is the most sensitive time in his ministry where at any moment he could mess up, right? And, and yet he doesn't. He doesn't ever do anything that gives himself into the hands of his enemies. They have to take him wrongfully in order to, to put him on the cross. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees are plotting how to entangle him. And so they uh, make an alliance with another group of folks, the Herodians. These are uh, 
uh, Herodians, Herod, these are people who support the state. The Pharisees' belief was that the government had no right to take taxes from them, and they paid them begrudgingly even though they didn't really need to. But the Herodians thought the government is entitled to those taxes, and so the two of them get together and they send a message to Jesus because they're going to trip him up, right? It's going to be people from each group, and they're going to ask him, and there's no way he could answer the question right. Right? So they, they send them and they say, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Man, you know, with an intro like that, you're like, this has got to be a trick question. Tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It says here, Jesus, aware of their malice, said this. Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me a coin that you used to pay taxes with. Right? Give me, give me a coin. It says they brought him a denarius, which is a day's wage. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And he picks up the coin and he looks at it. Whose face is on this? Who, 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 who dug down into the earth? and pulled out the silver or the gold and then made this coin, right? Who, who organized the mint or the foundry that put this coin together, right? Who, who put their face on it? And their answer is, they say, that it's Caesar's, Caesar's likeness and Caesar's inscription. And then he says to them, I can imagine him, you know, does he like flick the coin back to them or does he like put it back in their hand? You know, there's, there's some kind of response here, that some physical response, I think, that's not... Uh, I don't think he's just like, oh, free coin, you know, puts it in his pocket. Um, I think that he gives it back to them. He says, therefore, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars. Jesus said, no claim on this coin, right? Whose money is this? This is Caesar's money. He made this money. He put this thing together. This is his area of influence. But then he says, render to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Now here is the way that I think we put this all together, right? Earthly things, many earthly things. I keep coming back to this image of, of the stoplight because I think this is important. Stoplights are amoral, aren't they? Not immoral, not moral, they're amoral, right? You know, there's this one light, it's, it's uh, 13 right by Arby's, do you know what I'm talking about? You're coming up the hill by Arby's. Why is this light so long? I have sat at this light. Sometimes I feel like I'm there, I'm there for 10 minutes. I'm like, turn green already. I want to go. What are you doing to me? But when it's dark, that light is just perpetually red. And I'm thinking, this is horrific. Like, somebody should be held accountable for this. But you know what? The light doesn't care. The light doesn't care. The light is just doing its job. It's telling the cars that are coming that they can just go, drive, right? Be happy. And occasionally it's like this poor sap who's sitting here all this time, he can make a left turn and go home. He's tired, but we don't care, right? Lights don't have feelings. They, don't, they, are, they are amoral. And many of the areas of which government has influence has, has nothing to do with what's right and what's wrong. They just have to do with what is good for the public and the regulation of it. And Jesus says that is Caesar's domain. And so render to him what is his. But there's something interesting here. What he says is, whose likeness and inscription is on this coin? Right? Caesar's. Think about this. Whose likeness and inscription is on you? Whose likeness and inscription is on you? In the, in the early chapters of the scriptures, we are told, in the very first passage, God says, let us make... God in our own image and likeness. Which means this, that there are these areas which we are called to obey the government in. But our ultimate authority is owed, our ultimate obedience is owed to the Lord. This is what Paul says next and where he concludes, and we'll pick up here next week. What he says is this, Owe no one to anything except to love one another. 
This is the thing with which God is most concerned. Honestly, I think when it comes down to it, when you look at the suffering in the world and the difficulty and the pain, some of the issues and things that upset us as believers about the government are very small. And I don't mean to belittle some of the, the major problems that we have in our country, but many of those are the result of the condition of the human heart first and foremost, and the laws are what they are because the human heart is what it is. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And so here I believe is what we are told that we are to render to the government what is rightfully the government's. But we are always to render to God what is God's because we are His property. And so we're to seek to love first and foremost to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And any law, any ruling, any opinion, any demand from anyone that we break those laws, we are free. We are called to disregard in the service of our God because he is supreme and he is our ultimate authority. But as I said earlier, the focus is never to highlight ourselves as an example of defiance to the government to make it about us, but instead to demonstrate our submission and our devotion to God, who's our highest authority. As I said earlier, maybe I've made a whole bunch of people angry or you know, maybe opened a bunch of questions that don't have easy answers or you feel like you've got the answer for it. That's great. I would love to discuss it more. I'm, I'm focusing mostly on what I think Paul is teaching us here in this place in this passage. And so as Christians, let's seek to be the best citizens possible so that when people ask or people notice, we can turn and we can say, it's because God is good. It's because God is king. It's because God is supreme and he's called me to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbor as myself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and kindness toward us. I thank you that the scripture touches on all kinds of of different things. Why this passage today? Why talk about this matter today? Just because it's next. Just because it's what your servant Paul wrote about. Father, I pray that you would help us to strike the delicate balance between accepting the government around us and seeking to work for its transformation and its improvement and for the good of all. Father, help us to be those who, who live lives of love, love to you first and foremost, and then to our neighbors. And help us, Lord, to forget ourselves and to not focus so much on how frustrated or irritated we are with certain things, but instead seek to do good to honor those who deserve honor, to render to each one what they are owed. Lord, we pray that we would seek to do what you've called us to with our lives and to love one another the way that we ought. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are a good king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing a closing song.